The Psychiatric Trainees Committee of the Royal College of Psychiatrists is proud to present You Are Not Alone, a podcast series looking at the well-being of healthcare professionals. There is a lot more talk about well-being since the pandemic began, but well-being is complex, dynamic and personal. It is not always something that can be resolved with just resilience training or mindfulness. Both those things are useful and have its place, but concepts such as intersectionality explain why there is so much more to consider while discussing the well-being of healthcare professionals. This is what we hope to achieve through our conversations. Episode 5 International Medical Graduates IMGs. I'm Deepa Bagipalli Krishnan, an international medical graduate. I graduated in India and moved to the UK to train in psychiatry. Currently, I am an academic high trainee and Trent Division Psychiatric Trainees Committee representative and treasurer for Association of University Teachers of Psychiatry, a medical education charity. I was fortunate as I had family here to support me and help me navigate the system, but there were challenges along the way. We know that many international medical graduates face considerably greater difficulties from direct discrimination, isolation, financial difficulties, visa-related stresses, differential attainment, and many other issues due to the lack of familiarity with and inadequate support from the UK system. All this has had a significant impact on our well-being. And in the process, we hardly get time or energy to harness the strengths they bring. Every IMG's journey is unique. And today we have two inspirational and experienced guests, Dr. Ananta Dawe and Dr. Raja Adnan Ahmed, sharing their experiences with us. Dr. Ananta Dawe is a consultant, child and adolescent psychiatrist and medical director at the Lincoln Share Partnership NHS Foundation Trust. She is the president of the British Indian Psychiatric Association, BIPA. Dr. Dawe was awarded Churchill Fellowship in 2019. She chaired the Royal College of Psychiatrists Task and Finish Group, looking into growing concerns about the disproportionate impact of the pandemic on Black, Asian and ethnic minority staff. She's passionate about helping develop a leadership culture which promotes equality, inclusivity and well-being of the workforce. Dr. Dawe has a career spanning interest in medical education and training. She's actively involved in mentoring and supporting doctors. We have Dr. Raja Adnan Ahmed. He's a consultant psychiatrist working in South Wales. He's interested in raising awareness on mental illness and fighting the stigma around mental health. He's passionate about medical education and supporting junior doctors. He's done a lot of work in supporting many international medical graduates. Hello and welcome Ananta and Raja. Thank you for joining us today. First of all, I will ask both of you about your early memories as an international medical graduate in the UK. Yes, uh, thank you Deepa and Siobhan. Really good to be part of this uh, podcast today and thank you for asking me to share my memories and my journey. I came to the UK in 1995 from India. I'm originally from South India, but grew up in Mumbai. It was called Bombay then. So I was used to a bustling place, a big city, a lot of noise and a cosmopolitan culture. 
when I came here, actually, right from the time I sat in the plane, it was a very different environment because it was the first time I was making a plane journey and I wasn't sure whether I had buckled the seatbelt right. And I remember having to turn to my neighbor in the, you know, in the, in the plane and asking them to check whether I was buckled in correctly. So it began with, uh, I suppose, a deep awareness of how different the culture was going to be where, you know, in the UK from where I came from, although I considered myself a confident cosmopolitan person. And from that time on, I mean, when I landed, I, I can still remember the bone chilling cold of November and how it took ages for me to, I think I continued uh, wearing what would be termed winter attire well into the spring and summer the next year because my body just wasn't used to the cold and you know the temperatures here. But um, so it was, uh, uh, it was a very big gap, I think, in my cultural awareness, which I tried to bridge very quickly because I wanted to be seen as somebody competent. I, I think I, I totally understand that feeling of wanting to fit in and wanting to be seen as knowing everything and feeling very confident and how, therefore, I was hesitant in asking for help sometimes. But I was fortunate to have very supportive people around me, right from my husband, who had come here a few months earlier, to people who had come from my part of the world earlier into the UK and helped me uh, settle down and get a sense of being connected, which I think is really important. And I, I still remember the fact that when I joined, it was very close to Christmas and there were a lot of decorations and celebrations on the wards and a mistletoe tree. And I still remember being petrified when I was dragged under the mistletoe tree. I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know what was expected of me. So a lot of uh, memories, big and small, but the overall impression of there being enough people who were supportive to me to overcome, I suppose, the prejudice or the bigotry of people who did prove to be difficult as well. So that's how I started. Some really uh, interesting and sweet memories there, uh, Ananta. So Raja, uh, what, what about yourself? Uh, thank you very much for inviting me, Deepa and uh, Siobhan. Uh, so my memories, uh, like a lot of IMGs, are sort of very exciting from the start. I came in 2005 from Pakistan and I was a very young graduate. I only had done my house job from Pakistan. Uh, so it was, um, it was a journey of excitement and fear at the same time. And I remember feeling that sitting in a plane, you know, and thinking myself that should I really be really excited because I'm going abroad. And, um, and it, was, it was my first time going outside Pakistan and uh, taking a plane journey that big. Um, so there was a lot of excitement because uh, I was thinking that I'm going to a new country. It will be a new experience. Part of me was thinking, you know, even if you fail your exam, I was coming for PLAP to actually. That was my first time. So even if you fail the exam, it would be an amazing experience, you know, just to meet so many people, to see a new country. And then there was this fear and anxiety um, uh, that will I be able to actually achieve that? Am I actually good enough? Because I have never tested myself outside Pakistan. Is my English good enough? You know, can I can I be understood there? Again, will I be able to understand their English uh, and be able to fit in and pass the exam? So I think it was a very exciting and exciting time with some fear. And I I remember I was I was coming to UK. I was landing at Heathrow and one of my friends was going to come and pick me up. Um, and then I was going to stay with him for a few days. And he said, he asked me, you know, what do you want to do? I said, I'll come and sleep at your house. And next day we're going to buy an underground ticket and I'm going to go and have a look at all the all the landmarks. So next day I was out taking pictures with the the Big band and the Tower Bridge and the whole day. And then the, the next whole day when I was actually jet lagged and tired, but I was just couldn't 
have enough of the scenery and the new environment and then and you know everything everything new that was going around me so i think those were my um, early memories you know having a fear i think and and i when i speak to imgs now they have similar feelings you know they they also talk about excitement along with uh, with anxieties so raj i can certainly resonate with that those mixture of emotions that you mentioned the excitement fear uh, happiness uh, also you know like uh, asking yourself whether you know can i do this thing so yeah it resonates with my own early experiences as well uh, ananta i know you mentioned some of the challenges uh, just when you were describing early memories there so can you tell us a bit more about what these challenges were and uh, what sort of help and support did you get that helped you face these challenges i think the challenges both on a personal and professional level i think the first challenge was i think just being confident in myself i mean i was experienced in psychiatry i had done um post graduation md psychiatry in india and I had practiced for a year before before coming to the uk i think it was just you know remembering that i did know my my subject and i should uh, think of uh, mental health care and patient care the principles of it being the same everywhere but i think sometimes because of the cultural differences it just you know overwhelms you so on a professional level i think it was about just taking the time to understand the cultural inflections the idioms the colloquialisms so i remember you know starting to watch some uh, tv programs on bbc although i never really got interested in the british soaps and to this day i've not watched many at length but i do remember listening to the news and watching some programs just to get used to the you know the inflections of the language and you know the the local expressions etc i remember Uh, deliberately actually making myself spend time with my local colleagues see the instinct was to band together with people who were from my part of the world and in fact they were very very helpful in helping me settle down i remember on the second day when we were called for dinner to one of our friends houses they were our senior colleagues from india i mean the the sense of just being able to relax be myself the relief and you know the the homesickness that vanished when i saw indian food on the table was immense i mean i still remember i can remember those flavors the exact dishes and you know the decor of the house it's, it's still so fresh so i had to get away from just banding with people who were like me and spending time with others who would actually help me learn about the local culture local ways of doing etc uh, so those were the challenges uh luckily as i said i mean although there were people who would react in an either an awkward or a dismissive way at the way i spoke or the way i dressed myself or the way i wrote in the notes i think there were enough number of people to counteract that to uh you know come to me and say that you know they wanted to they were very interested in how we did things in india or how did i arrive at that particular diagnosis or treatment and how did we prescribe so i think the curiosity the compassionate curiosity that i really think is very helpful was shown by enough number of people to help me settle down on a personal level i think again being in india i was both privileged and uh, perhaps disadvantaged in living in a joint family so i used to live with my husband in laws and his siblings and uh, we had lots of uh, family extended family members visiting now while that gives you a sense of belonging and being connected and you're always taken care of it had also not prepared me for independent living in the way that i would otherwise have been prepared so coming to this country and setting up home so it was as if i was doing several things at the same time you know getting used to a new country defining my relationship you know with my husband a fairly new marriage settling down as as a nuclear family 
This was before we had children even. So on a personal front as well, lots of adjustments to to go through. And I think navigating, you know, the balance between work and life. Thinking back, I didn't do it very well. So I'm very passionate about helping people now do it in a better way. I think I was so intent on proving myself to be as good as everyone else that perhaps I didn't focus on my own well-being enough. Very, very interesting uh, uh, journey and some experiences there, Ananta. And I uh, certainly, you know, balancing that work-life balance really resonates with me. Uh, so, Raja, did you face any challenges and what kind of things helped you? So, um, in terms of challenges, there were a few challenges and I think they are uh, fairly common challenges that a lot of IMGs uh, we've already talked about um, trying to fit in the workplace and how uh, proving your clinical competence. But for me, I I first came as a as a single man and I didn't have much family around here. Um, so isolation, social isolation, having not having any social support or support networks was the biggest challenge I felt. Because I came, I was living with my parents um, and my family, and I had loads of friends in Pakistan, and I was a very social person. You know, I was kind of person who would go out almost every evening with my friends and socialize, or every weekend we were out and about somewhere. Uh, so I wasn't really used to sitting in a house on my own, uh, or even sleeping in a house or a flat on my own. You know, that was all new for me. Uh, when I first came here, you know, I and we always, you know, I always say to my IMG colleagues as well that we underestimate the impact of um, the social support network we leave behind. And, you know, suddenly when you come here, you don't have any friends anymore. You know, uh, you have friends, you can talk to them on the phone or Skype or whatever, but still you don't have physically physical contact with them. You're living in different time zones now. And that can have a huge impact on somebody's well-being. You know, you can go to work and do a good job. And when you come back home, you need to have somebody you can sort of talk to or socialize or do some activities with them. Um, just like that, you know, losing your hobbies, the things you used to do, you used to play some sports, you know, you, you're not doing it that anymore. You know, you used to uh, go out and, and watch films or do, do other things, you know, which, which you can't do anymore. Um, and, you know, when we first come here, we don't drive. So we are kind of geographically isolated as well. And you you are using public transport and stuff. I felt that was too much for me initially. And the way I overcome is that I I realized that, you know, if I, I need to have a good social life. I need to start making friends. I need to be more open about making friends. I need to start approaching people, um, uh, you know, in, in even in hospitals or in social settings. And, you know, I can need to have a social support network that will uh, uh, break me through this this uh, period of isolation and I think that's that's what I did but it, it can it can be very challenging you know and a lot of IMGs talk about uh, the feeling of homesickness you know we all read about homesickness but until it strikes you you don't understand the impact of that you know that you you actually start you have all a lot of, of fears and feelings that I might should I just should just drop everything and go back this country is not for me or maybe I'm not just coping and and that sense of belonging here is very important to develop, you know, and that you develop by developing new social networks here. So thank you for sharing those uh, experiences, uh, Raja and uh, Ananta. Uh, certainly, you know, uh, uh, when we first come here, it can be really overwhelming, challenging, uh, quite isolating as well, and adapting to a, a new system very quickly, learning some new behaviors and unlearning some of the old behaviors, uh, again, adds a layer of challenge, and it can affect people's self-esteem and confidence. So just just thinking about this another concept of intersectionality where, you know, different aspects of person's identity can interplay. 
uh, and have an impact on well-being. Uh, so Ananta, for, for yourself, uh, being a woman from an ethnic minority and also being an international uh, medical graduate, how has this shaped your journey, both professionally and also with acculturation? Really important point. And uh, in fact, uh, I'm really pleased to see two very dynamic women trainees uh, doing this podcast and leading on it. And just to see the general development, more diversity in uh, leadership and in a lot of initiatives in psychiatry, certainly. So, I mean, I think here I have to make reference not only to intersectionality as a concept, but also with specific reference to South Asian culture, you know, where I come from. And I think the the cultural expectations are different in different societies and in different parts of the world. And particularly in uh, South Asia, you know, from where I come from, they are quite marked. So I think all along, I've always had to justify having the same kind of career ambitions as my husband. So uh, it has been one of always having to be very clear about why I wanted to concentrate on my career, for example, why couldn't I have kids? you know, being asked questions regularly in my life about why, why I was waiting and, you know, this was the right time and why was I doing training twice because I trained in India already and I was having to train in the UK to do my MRC psych. So right from those pressures and I remember for many years and I'm sure Subodh won't mind saying this, for many years I, I was doing the cooking in the meals and, you know, the cleaning in the house. And especially when people came around, the expectation was always that I would be in the kitchen and rustling up, uh, you know, food and serving them or making tea and coffee. And my husband would be the one entertaining and staying with them. And it took a lot of time to overturn those kind of beliefs. So these are simple everyday personal matters and very culturally specific, I think. But, you know, I think, um, you know, support helped me beautifully. And we I, I really... Uh, you know, like the place we are at in terms of not only, uh, you know, in, our, in in terms of our own personal values, but I think the values that I want to uh, show and demonstrate for my children, I've got, we've got two daughters and I'm really keen that they don't face the same barriers that I did. I also remember in terms of uh, being a woman, a very personal um, situation where um, I suffered a miscarriage and it really affected my health. And some some of my trainers not being very supportive initially when I was in training and it had an adverse impact on me, but some other people being very supportive and uh, understanding that, you know, people having children losing babies is, you know, this is part of life and it's not something which adversely affects uh, or reflects a person's ability, but those uh, those comments were made too in my career about me becoming pregnant at convenient times or, you know, uh, being unduly affected by life events and therefore not being able to uh, concentrate on my career. So there have been uh, comments made from that point of view. And I think the particular uh, problems associated with uh, balancing child bearing, child rearing fall much more to women. I mean, the practicalities of women bearing the child and the pregnancy, but also afterwards, you know, the rearing of the children once they are born. And I'm really keen, I think, on sending a very strong message that actually these events uh, give more strength to you. They shape you. They make you very adaptable. They, um, they give you a unique perspective. So rather than being seen as a disadvantage, I'm really keen that if people do choose to go down that path of having children, rearing them, becoming parents, however you become a parent through adoption, IVF or, you know, natural pregnancies, uh, those that time is well spent and should really be seen as adding strength. 
to one's competencies. So that's from that's from some practical point of view. From a professional point of view, I found it really hard to not only at the time that I was in training, when I would see very few in those days, not many uh, women trainees, for example, going out in the evenings to meet up other people or to go out for meals where a lot of, you know, to the pubs, for example, or common joint meals where all trainees and trainers were together. Women trainees or women colleagues from uh, international backgrounds held back. And I found myself one of a minority of people who would do these things outside work. And I always wondered how that was uh, being taken. And there were many times when I would be asked questions like, especially when I think went further in my career and I started taking on leadership roles, I would be asked questions like whether I had my husband's permission to apply for the job and what, how, how would I manage if I was not there at home for the children? And, you know, how would this affect my children? And, you know, so questions to that effect, which it's, it really pains me to think that I did not feel able to respond in an appropriate way then. And my life's mission is really, if people are faced with those situations, A, that I stand up for them, or if I can't do that directly to empower people to stand up to these, this kind of discrimination, sexism or any kind of prejudice, really, and where people are held back. And I think on a more practical level, the higher I went up the career ladder, I just did not have enough role models. So I remember when I was applying for the medical director's job, I did not know at that time. Now I know a handful at that time. I did not know many women from an international background who had become medical directors. I found it really hard to ask people, and when I asked men from all cultures, you know, international cultures, local, white culture, not all of them were equally encouraging of my ability to make this work. You know, with uh, I remember I was thinking about how I would do it with my children going to university and me perhaps not being able to spend as much time with them. And there were questions asked as to whether I was doing the right thing and, you know, not focusing enough on my family. And I don't think that similar question would have been asked of a male person applying for these senior positions. So unfortunately, prejudice exists, sexism is rife. And when all these factors combine, the fact that I'm um, from an international background, that I'm a person of color, that I'm a woman, that I don't look and sound like the people who are normally in leadership positions. I mean, we still have only around 9% of board members from an ethnic minority background in the NHS today, which is really startling when you think of 21% of the NHS workforce being from an ethnic minority background and 77% of women being the workforce in the NHS. It's, it's very, very stark. Uh, the only thing I can say is that for every 10 naysayers, there was one person who stood up for me. And you have to make that one person count. And, you know, I'm a child and adolescent psychiatrist, and I say always that when a child is going through uh, an abusive situation or a difficult situation, if there is one responsible adult whom he trusts and who can stand up for that child, that can really turn the tide for that young person, the child. And it was similarly with me for all the prejudice and the flack and I faced and the remarks, the snide remarks, there were few people who really helped me who never stopped believing in me, even when I went through a period of having, uh, you know, mental health difficulties. Uh, and even when I went through a period of having to take time off, when I seemed to lose confidence in myself, they did not lose confidence in me. And I really pay tribute to and salute those people who were able to see the true me, even though it was obscured by uh, lack of confidence and problems. So, yeah, so those are some of the personal examples I've gone through 
And I don't think it is very dissimilar to what many other women from international backgrounds, ethnic minority backgrounds uh, might have gone through in the NHS. No, thank you for sharing that, uh, Ananta. That's truly inspirational. And certainly many of the things that you mentioned, I can uh, resonate and relate to many of those things. So just, just thinking about, you know, the GMC is caring for doctors, caring for patients uh, report, which talks about the ABC of doctors' core needs and B in it is for belonging. So Raja, you have empowered uh, lots of international medical graduates in, in a very personalized mentoring capacity. And I wondered if you can share something about your um, high altitude supervision sessions, as you call it. I think mentoring is very important for the international medical graduates, especially when they first join the NHS uh, and they may first join as a non-training doctor, you know. So you need to, mentoring is all about uh, understanding uh, their, their needs at that point in time. That could be their social needs, their needs about their education and training, their needs about getting into training and getting the right support for them at that point. Uh, so what I, I have been doing, you know, I'll uh, explain in some simple words that I trying to identify IMGs when they first join in our trust or who I see or who approached me through the, the social media for help. So the first thing we do is sort of try and understand, you know, which stage of training they are on, which stage of uh, job they're on and, you know, what are the needs and how do, do they want to get uh, move forward. And a lot of the times, you know, I believe IMGs are actually underestimating themselves. Uh, and that is something I keep seeing, you know, that um, we need to sometimes push them or or tell them that, you know, they are they are actually, they got more energy and more motivation and uh, more knowledge than they actually experiencing it at that point there because they are under, uh, underestimating themselves. The other thing I do is, which I started doing a couple of years ago is, uh, and I thought they had a psychological impact that you kind of open your house to them which means that I tend to have these little parties when I invite the, the IMGs to my house. It could be a barbecue. And I mean, it got stopped during the COVID time because of the obvious restrictions. But opening your house is sort of, I think, psychologically is very important for somebody who's just come in the country to to come and see you and then then feel a bit more relaxed with you and see see you as somebody who, who they can approach for help. And as earlier we were talking about, even if you are going through a difficulty in a trust, you know, you might not you might not feel you can approach your education or clinical supervisor or, or your consultant. But if if there's one consultant in the trust who you think will stand up for you or you or will advise you if you're going through a difficulty, that is very, very important. I try to become that one person, you know, for that for those um, group of doctors who are working around us. Uh, so if they are getting undermined or if they're getting any difficulties, I can sort of uh, guide them through that. The high altitude supervision was a. Um, uh, was a sort of an idea, you know, when it came around when we were doing our balance groups um, and one of the things our balance uh, groups uh, lead used to do was he will say it's a very nice day, you know, why are we all sitting inside? Let's go and sit outside. We were doing it in a in a hospital which has amazing uh, grounds. So we'll go and sit outside and enjoy the weather as well and also the outdoors. And then I start realizing, see, when people come to Wales, it's a it's a very beautiful place and it's a very beautiful country. Uh, unfortunately, when you first come, you don't drive and you're restricted geographically. So you are only working in the hospital and going back home. So I want people to actually enjoy Wales as it is. Even if you're working in a city like um, Cardiff, you're only half an hour away from the mountain region of uh, Brecon Beacons. So myself, I fell in love with Wales because of the mountains, the waterfalls, the, the beaches we have, the green, lush green landscape we have. So I'm trying to introduce those IMGs to, to all these outdoor activities. Um, and the term high altitude supervision came and I take them on hiking and sort of 
on the way up sort of talk about their careers and how can they move forward and you know how can we help them to get to the next stage of training and all that supervision or mentoring doing in that way that you are actually out and about with them and, and enjoying the landscape and you know we're recording this to south asian month and uh, the countries where we're from, India and Pakistan, you know, having a green, lush landscape is something that, you know, we we kind of dream of going in holiday. So when I first came to Wales, I realized, you know, this is not a dream anymore. Actually, I am not on holiday anymore. I'm actually living in a place where I am just only a few minutes away from a waterfall or a beautiful river or a beautiful mountain. Uh, so I think that is something we need to uh, build on. You know, when somebody is, um, as I mentioned earlier, you know, when somebody is coming to UK and to develop that sense of belonging, uh, so it's not just about going to work or enjoying work or having a little circle of friends there. It's about actually connecting with, with the place in a more fuller way, uh, trying to enjoy the outdoors, try to enjoy the landscape and sort of feel that, you know, you are in some place where you can go and get a relaxation outdoors as well. So this is a really innovative uh, way, Raja, to, to introduce new doctors to Wales and also to give them that sense of belonging and connectedness to the place where they work. I wish I could have some high altitude supervision all the where I live. We don't have the peaks that you're talking about. So yeah, just just moving on to you know what is the, the current topic of uh, the pandemic. We can't possibly not talk about the pandemic and how it's affected the international medical graduates. Many of them having to grieve from afar and not being able to visit uh, you know the families during these uh, tough times. Uh, the poem that you wrote, Ananta, uh, resonated with many of us, and uh, we wondered if you might want to share that with us today. Yeah, thank you, Deepa. I think writing poetry and connecting with nature, and I think collectively, I think sharing and talking about uh, grief and what was happening has been really important, I think, during the pandemic. So one of the poems that I wrote, which was at the height of the pandemic in India, when we were really seeing horrific images and horrific stories. And I think you can all, you know, identify with that, you know, contacting families from afar and trying to help them. So this poem is called Waiting. Waiting for sunrise and the calls to start. Dreading the call, yearning for the call, for the neighbor to say she's breathing, she's eating. Waiting for the money transfer to go through because we need to pay within two hours or lose the bed. Waiting in the reception for entry into the hospital, the living and the dead equally silent. Waiting for air, hell is no oxygen. Sorry, ventilator for four hours only, others are waiting. The doctor had a kind voice, she says, while waiting in the corridor for our beloved's body to be backed. Waiting in the car park for the cremation, his body shrouded in her sari. Ambulance number 7122, Token number 284, 42 degrees Celsius. Dozens of pyres lighting the sky. The long journey home with an empty house waiting. Waiting at home, imprisoned by the virus. Waiting for vaccines without borders. For sharers, not hoarders. For larger hearts, smaller egos. Meanwhile, we live, work and breathe. Waiting for the thumb thump of guilt to subside. For the flood tide of despair to recede waiting for a different dawn, waiting to embrace my motherland and mine. Thank you, Ananta. That was very touching and very beautifully written. Um, and we hope that, you know, we never face such uh, tough and challenging times ever again. Uh, but thanks for sharing that today with us. 
So when we discuss this topic of international medical graduates, it's uh, I mean, we tend to focus only on the negative aspects and the challenges. Um, so, so I think for those who are listening today to this podcast overseas and thinking about moving to uh, UK, um, I was wondering, Raja, what, what, what are the positives of being an IMG in the UK? I think that's very important, as you mentioned, to also talk about the positives um, because uh, otherwise our discussion may only uh, end up talking about negative points. There are a lot of positive points which I try and um, reiterate as much as I can. Um, the first thing is, you see, when you come to UK, is you're coming to a different culture and a different country, and the whole experiencing of uh, Working in a different culture in a different country always enriches you. You know, it, uh, the training you get here, the social interaction, the the interaction with the general public. You know, that all uh, improves you as a human being. You learn a lot of things from here, which you may not learn if you are just working in your home country only in one place. Um, the second thing, I think uh, we don't celebrate NHS enough for its diversity. So when I was uh, working in Pakistan, you know, see, I was only working with Pakistanis. There were very few or rarely you'll see somebody who is from abroad working with you. But one big advantage of NHS is that NHS is a family of uh, international um, uh, workforce, not just doctors. You will find so many different nationalities when you first come here. And I remember, you know, when I first came to UK, that was one of the things that struck me that I've got Indian friends and I got uh, Egyptians, I got a uh, friend from Nigeria, friend from so many different parts of the world, which I wouldn't, wouldn't have made if I, was, uh, if, if I was only working in Pakistan. So I think that is a big advantage that you get to know so many cultures, you get to meet so many different people, um, which which is not really possible if you're just working in your home country in one place. You know, I, I like to mention here, see, I was from, I am from Pakistan and uh, while working in Pakistan, you know, we were always fascinated by India. We have some political uh, differences, so we were not able to go and make Indian friends. Um, uh, but we were always fascinated because they are just like us. Quite a lot of Indians talk the same language as us and has, have the same food. Uh, so when you come to UK and you are certainly working with a lot of Indian colleagues and you know you're finding so many common things between them and yourself, and then you start realizing that they they can actually be be your best friends, you know. Um, and that is eye-opening experience. You know, suddenly you know you 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 have that uh, luxury to have that, which wouldn't wouldn't be able to do while I was in Pakistan. I think the another ad- advantage is that and I just uh, also gives you, I felt, uh, a bit of financial independence, social independence as well. I came here as, as as a single person and I felt that I had to kind of almost like build a life here in UK. So building from scratch, so making new friends, making all the steps of building a life, you know, getting a license, getting a job, getting a new house. And then, you know, at the end you feel like you have done something remarkable, you know, by by, by when five or six years have gone past and you think, that you actually did that independently. During that process, you develop a lot of other skills, I think, which, which you may not be able to do when while, while you were working in a, in a situation where you have a lot of support around you when you're in your home country. So all of these are, are very good experiences. You know, when you go through them, it might look like a difficult time initially, but, you know, once you've gone through them, and I also like to mention that the training, especially the psychiatry training I got from UK, I think that was amazing. Um, I met some amazing supervisors. Uh, and I have a lot of interaction with the Royal College of Psychiatrists doing the MRC psych exam. I think that was all a very enriching experience for myself to learn uh, psychiatry in a way because it's practice fairly advanced in, in UK in comparison to the developing countries. So you are learning, always learning 
new things, you know, and psychiatry is also related to a lot of cultural aspects as well. And you are experiencing a lot of different cultural aspects there, which you may not be able to uh, learn while you are in, in your home country. I feel there are those are the, the main advantages that making new friends, meeting new cultures and and that all helps you grow as an individual. And and I always sort of try to explain to my MG colleagues to see UK is not just about coming here and doing a clinical exam or doing a clinical experience. And it is also uh, focuses on developing you as an individual, which means that you can develop leadership qualities. You, you can develop expertise in medical education, uh, management of a hospital or, or a team. So all those skills you are actually getting from here, uh, other than your clinical skills, they are sort of lifelong skills and they sort of stay with you if you want to go back or if you want to continue working here. So you mentioned quite a lot of positives there. You touched upon the uh, multicultural aspects of, uh, of living here and, you know, the, the potential of professional and personal growth and uh, how it changes your outlook towards life and also your working. It's um, incredible. So thank you for highlighting that. So I hope that uh, sends a message to people who are thinking about coming to UK so that it's not just about the negative experiences, but it's also about there's a lot of positives and lots of potential for growth and development. So just just thinking about some more positive aspects, a question for both of you, really. What strengths do you think international medical graduate leaders bring to the NHS workforce? I think, you know, at every level and I think, you know, uh, whatever position we are in, whether we have a formal leadership uh, role or not, I think, you know, as clinicians, we lead in many ways and even showing clinical leadership is important. So I think firstly, I would just like to highlight that IMGs bring strengths along with them, apart from themselves being strengthened by the experiences in the UK and, you know, what, what they go through, they come with strengths. And I, so the first thing I want to say is we need to be as leaders highlighting their strengths for them. So if somebody comes to me and says, I can't speak English very well, I always say to them, remember that that means you can speak at least two other languages very well, which not many people might be able to speak. So I think if you have people who are in leadership positions who are IMGs, they are able to, I think, understand, tap into and harness the existing strengths of the workforce, wherever they may come from, whatever their orientation or beliefs. I think being able to see beyond the obvious, beyond the outer trappings and look at the strengths that lie underneath would be possible if you yourself have come from those multiple experiences and perspectives. So having people with those diverse perspectives in leadership positions is important. I think everybody who goes through the IMG journey and acculturates and adapts to another country is showing inherent strength. The other thing is that if we are to provide patient care for the diverse populations that are in the country, we also need to have a workforce which is diverse so that people who are accessing care can relate to the people who are providing the care, you know, both in terms of how they visibly look, but also in terms of their attitudes, cultures, their uh, ability to understand people from different perspectives and how they present distress. In our case, mental health care and emotional distress. So really important to give confidence to the communities and to the people accessing services. There should be representation in the workforce, but also diversity in the workforce, because a homogeneity uh, can kill creativity and growth. It needs to be a variety and a diversity in approaches which leads to new thinking new ways of doing. 
And of course, the other thing is, uh, you know, a blended approach is talked about quite a lot nowadays in the wake of the pandemic, you know, for example, when you talk of digital and face to face. So if you want to make the best use of resources, sustain resources, healthcare, the NHS, you have to make use of a variety of influences, approaches and strengths. And so once again, having that diversity at leadership level helps us to keep things sustainable and harness different ways of doing things. So I think it's really important that we are able to cultivate the inner leader in all of us. And I say to people, it's not about formal leadership positions alone. It is about the leader within you, whatever role you're doing. And ultimately, that is about identifying and tapping people's strengths, harnessing it well, uh, sponsoring them along with the mentoring and along with the teaching and the training. You need somebody to say about you to another person. She's really good at that. I wonder whether she could be considered for it. I'm going to ask her to apply for it. So that kind of active sponsoring is very important too. I, I think an important message needs to go out that everything doesn't need to work the first time or you don't have to be successful the first time. There is something about the vulnerability in leadership which needs to be talked about openly. So people who become leaders, whether formal, informal or whatever, are not people who have sailed through things you know, very smoothly with uh, never a failure to their name. It isn't the case. Uh, you know, I'm I'm in a senior leadership position. That's certainly not the case with me. So I think people coming from an international background can help people see you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be correct and, you know, succeed at all times without failing in order to be a good leader. You can actually learn and grow from each disadvantage or uh, a pause or barrier that you've gone through that can help you grow as a person and give you many more perspective and strength. So I think there is sometimes a fear amongst international graduates that if they ask for help or if they show signs of weakness or failure, they might be thought of as not good enough. So I think if we are in these leadership positions, we should be able to empower people to say, I need to pause, reset, I need help. And that's a sign of maturity and wisdom. So these are all perspectives, I think, that international leaders, IMG leaders can bring and that we should be seeking to nurture and cultivate amongst our coming generation of clinicians and leaders. Thank you, Ananta. There's a lot of uh, learning from, from what you've said so far and that almost there's that permission to fail and learn from mistakes. I think that's one key thing as IMGs. We struggle with that uh, notion of, you know, uh, failing and, and uh, that it's OK to fail and learn from that and move on. Raja, any any thoughts from from your side? Yeah, I think I agree with what Ananta was saying. Um, a lot of the points you mentioned were very, very important. I personally, you know, I, I try and when I'm mentoring IMGs, I always sort of say to them, you don't need to underestimate yourself. You have to understand your, your strengths. And we have a lot of strengths. You know, even, even if you think about a young doctor coming from India or Pakistan or any, any other country to UK to do PLAP, you know, that's a massive step they've taken. They have actually gone in a, in a different country and doing a licensing exam for a different country in a language which is, which is usually not their first language at all. Um, so that is, you know, that shows the strength of the young person who's actually coming through there. And we need to celebrate and, and build on that strength because that means that this person has at least lived in two different countries, as Ananta was saying. That means that at least they speak more than two languages, uh, sometimes more, much more than that. 
and they have the ability to adopt to change. They have the ability to actually make new networks. They have the ability to, uh, you know, lead in, in. They're also already doing making all these changes in their life, which to improve their own, own life. So why can't that translate to NHS when they're working in, in, in the NHS? Um, and the other thing I always mention to my um, new IMG doctors is the NHS IMG workforce is something that we need to celebrate. Once you start working in NHS, you know, NHS is not a foreign health system anymore. You are NHS, you know, you are part of the NHS now. Um, then once, once you got this first badge of for the NHS and it is your responsibility to make it better for other IMGs as well. It is also your make it responsibility to actually do the certain quality improvement work. If there are things you don't agree with, if things you think could be improved, you know, you need to be start taking some lead on that. Just starting from very small bits around how your ward is going on and how you're working on the ward. Um, so I think I'm trying to encourage that. And I think the other thing we, I mean, generally speaking, we don't celebrate the IMG workforce that much in NHS, but in simple words, um, from my experience is, you know, NHS is actually benefiting a lot from the IMG workforce, not just doctors, but other um, nurses and all the other MDT staff. And I don't think NHS can actually function without the IMGs, without the diversity it, it has. It won't have the same strength without the diversity it, it had. If you look at the mental health services, you know, wherever you go, you will find so many IMG doctors, so many IMGs are actually doing the exams and taking up the consultant positions. Um, so IMG workforce is not not something alien to NHS anymore. You know, we are actually actually the backbone of the NHS now. So we need to start understanding our strengths and we need to start taking those important roles, you know, beyond our clinical roles. That is very important that we recognize that and, and move forward. Thank you, Raja. We, so we just heard from both of you how diversity in itself brings a lot of strengths. So we've had such an interesting and important discussion and this, there's so much to think about from this discussion and take back. So just wondering any final thoughts from you, Raja? I just like to um, say to my uh, colleagues and my junior junior colleagues, especially who are looking at UK right now, listening to this podcast, thinking about coming to UK, that it is a it is a wonderful place, you know. In NHS, you will, uh, you know, I I would say initially everybody faced some um, some difficulty in terms of settling in a new place, understanding the new system. But once you go through that, and we all go through that, you know, we all pass that, and once we become part, properly become part of NHS family, it's a very enjoyable place to work. It is something that will help you grow. It is something that will uh, lead you to become uh, uh, not just a good clinician, but also also a much stronger human being as well. So please, if you are considering that, you know, consider it seriously and take up that first step, you know, of maybe registering for PLIAB or doing the PLIAB or coming to UK. Thank you, Raja. And just thinking about, you know, from all that you've said, the role of allies, the mentors, the supervisors, it's so important in shaping our uh, career here as as new IMGs. Uh, so I, I was just wondering, Ananta, just last few thoughts on you chair the diaspora committees and you're also the president of the second biggest organization of psychiatrists in the UK in terms of the numbers, BIPA. For those who are not familiar with BIPA, it's British Indian Psychiatrists Association. So just just a couple of things. One is what role do you think such groups can play for IMGs all over the world? And uh, if, if you have anything else to add. Thanks, Deepa. I mean, I think, you know, we've talked about the necessity and the power of belonging wherever you are from, you know, in the world, international medical graduates coming from all corners of the world. The necessity, the, the need to belong, to connect, to feel part of, to not be othered is a really core part of how we function and how we bring out the best in ourselves. 
so therefore, what IMGs really look for and which sometimes they take more time than local candidates to build up is that social capital, the social networking, the social capital, the social connections. And that is something that these organizations like the Diaspora Committee and organizations like BIPA can provide. And I think it is about belonging in an authentic way. And that's really important because if you have to give the best of yourself, you can do it by being authentic. If you are pretending to be something you're not or someone you're not, you can't be your best. So if IMGs have to give off the best and they have a lot to give, as Raja was saying, they're the backbone of the NHS. And if they have to give off their best, they need to be able to feel that they can be who they are, express themselves in the fullness of their identity, which is actually very rich and uh, you know very, very important for the NHS. So I think networks, and organizations like BIPA and all the other diaspora organizations can help do that. And I have seen it like never before in the wake of the pandemic. While we have seen a lot of grief and suffering, the way people have come together and supported one another from all corners of the world, uh, and how we have done things together, right from raising funds to looking after the well-being of doctors and nurses and other clinicians, and uh, sharing our grief and our loss. Uh, so everything has really been made easier by sharing, by having that collective voice and by belonging. So I think that's a really important part, the the courage to be myself and the reassurance of belonging and that those things can be nurtured through these networks and groups. Thank you. Thank you, Ananta. Um, so yeah, we've heard about some of the challenges faced by IMGs and uh, that this so much of support out there for um, uh, IMGs and the positives of being an IMG in the UK healthcare system. So we will share some useful resources on the Royal College of Psychiatrists website along with the podcast link when it's released. And do keep an eye out for the IMG guide, uh, which is in the pipeline. It's a collaborative project between the Psychiatric Trainees Committee and the Trainees Support Committee at the Royal College of Psychiatrists. So once again, thank you both for joining us today. It's been wonderful listening to both of you, such an interesting and enriching discussion we've had. And thank you for all the great work that uh, you both are doing in various platforms. <laughs> <laughs>